Hey there, today I want to talk with you about red flags you might spot with your prospective clients. You're listening to Copy Chatter, the podcast where we talk about all things writing business. We're having a conversation here about freelance writing and freelance writers, and you are invited. Let's chat about business, marketing, dealing with clients, mindset issues, copy tips, and rolling with the changes. We'll also delve into what's going on with this particular writer as I grow and build my own business. Ready to talk shop? It's time for some copy chatter. So I'm back from my hiatus. I did not mean to disappear for a couple of weeks. What happened was I got sick, (laughs) basically. You can still hear it in my voice a bit, but I thought it was back enough not to torment you (laughs) with the sound of my voice. And I wanted to get right back into doing podcast episodes. So here we are. I'm glad that you're here with me and I cannot wait to talk to you about um, these client red flags because I see them a lot, both in my own prospecting and onboarding and in, um, I see these issues reflected in the questions that I get in the Facebook group and with my students. So I just wanted to go over some of the big ones, some of the uh, like common ones that you might not even realize are red flags until it's too late. Dun, dun, dun. So I'm going to just jump right in. So the first thing I wanted to warn you about <laughs> today is something that actually came up very recently in one of my groups. I can't remember. I think it was in the free group. If you're interested in joining the free group, by the way, you can go to ashleygainer.com slash Facebook, or you can just hop on over to Facebook and search for the Inkwell Guild. Um, and that is where we are. So come hang out with us. It's free. Please answer the questions. <laughs> anyway, Um, The first one to share with you is what I call editing by committee. And this is something that has happened to me before, um, once or twice. And uh, it's something that I've seen a lot of my fellow writers with struggle really, really a lot. This is one of the agonizing things that can happen when you're a freelance writer. And so my advice is to nip it in the bud before it even just cut it off before it even begins. And to do that, you need to be clear in your onboarding um, about how you work. And yes, you are allowed to decide how you work. You don't have to be an order taker. You can set your own rules and set your own boundaries. And so this is a boundary I highly recommend that you set that you have one point person with the client. Even if you are working with a team or an organization or a department, you have one person and that is the only person at that organization who gives you orders, (laughs) who gives you instructions. And most importantly, that is the only person at that organization who gives you feedback. So if they want to go through multiple rounds of editing hell (laughs) themselves and pass your stuff around the department and then all of that and coordinate their own efforts and drive themselves crazy, that's fine. But you are not going to have people coming at you from all different directions saying, take this out. Why did you put this in? Why did you take that out? Why aren't we talking about this thing that Joe Blow told us we needed to take out, right? It's It can be a nightmare because you have people who want you to put things in, and then you have other people who want you to take them out. And then once you've taken something out, you have someone else who's like, why are we not talking about this? We should be talking about it. And you're like, but you just told me to take it out, right? It is really frustrating. It's really, really unproductive. It wastes so much of your time. So one of the things you can do to avoid this particular fresh hell of freelancing is to have one point person. And you can be very clear in the onboarding um, and say that you are only going to 
take that you don't do editing by committee. That's not an official term, but I think it's um, clear and you're welcome to borrow it. But be very clear that you're only going to take editorial instruction and input from one person and that if they have other people they want to look at your drafts and whatever, that's fine. But everything filters through one person and that you need that person to keep aware of what you've been told to do so that you don't have writes and rewrites and all this conflicting input, right? It's a terrible place to be and I don't want you to be there. So be very upfront in the beginning that this is not how it's going to work. That is not how you work. Now, one thing that you can do to save yourself, and this is something that I highly suggest that if you're not doing this yet, you start doing this immediately, is to define the scope of the post-draft work that you do. And by that, I mean um, specify how many rewrites you'll do or how many rounds of edits you'll do. I specify that every draft of mine comes with... um, two rounds of edits or one total rewrite. And if they want more edits, or if they want, if they do some edits, and they're just like, you know what, we just want to rewrite it, that's fine. But you have to pay a new fee, right? So um, keep include that in your contract, make it very clear that you don't do more than that. Or um, if you if they want you to do more, then they have to pay. You do not have to be editing over and over and over and over and over again. You don't. And if they expect you to make a bazillion changes over the course of like three months, <laughs> don't work with them because that's unreasonable. The second thing that I want to warn you about is another thing that came up in my group recently and is when you have a client who doesn't really know what they want. Um, you see this a lot with graphic design also, people are like, I don't really know what I like. I don't really know what I want, but I'll, you know, I'll know it when I see it, right? Or, um, or you turn something in um, and they're like, or they can't tell you what they want, but then they're like, I just, um, I know it when I see it. Or if they're like, I don't know what I want, but I don't want that. <laughs> Anything like that where they're not really clear, whether it's on tone or length or, um, structure or whatever it is, um, they need to know what they want. And a great way to gauge if they know what they want is if they can give you either if they can give you examples of their own stuff that they've published in the past, um, you know, just previous work that they like, or if they don't have anything yet, you know, if you're kind of if this whole like content thing is new for them, then if they can send you examples of other things that they like, like things from other people that they like, and they can tell you specifically what they like about it and even what like they they don't want you to include. So, oh, there's my clock. I hope you guys like it. <laughs> it's going to ding. <laughs> um, I'm, oh, I haven't mentioned this. I have a new office, y'all. I'm so excited. We finally got the sun porch cleared off enough for me to put a desk in there. And it's, we've still got boxes and things everywhere, but I have a new office and now it means we can hear my clock. Um, which is happy. Anyway, but I digress. What was I saying? Um, you want them to give you examples uh, and tell you specifically what they like. I like the tone. I like the feel. I like the energy. I like um, the, you know, the word choice. I like the formatting, whatever it is that they like. And then um, if they can also tell you when you're writing for me, don't use contractions, you know, or we don't use words like this and this and this, or, um, 
we we really like the way the content is structured and presented, but we use like a more formal tone or we use a more casual tone or whatever it is. So if you can hear not only what they like, but also what they don't like, that is really, really helpful. Um, and if you get any sense that they're not sure what they want, make absolutely 100% sure that you have limited the number of edits and rewrites that you're willing to do. Otherwise, it, it, it just, it gets really <laughs> ugly <laughs> because they want you to be a mind reader, right? If they can't tell you what they want, then they just are basically like, you're just going to have to read my mind and come up with it, right? And that is a losing proposition. You will waste so much time, so much energy. Your effective hourly rate for stuff like that is going to come down to like $2 an hour, right? Because they're just going to be running you ragged, trying to figure out what's wrong when they can't tell you. So don't do it. <laughs> Um, speaking of feelings, <laughs> the third thing I want to warn you about, um, and I've had experience with clients who do this too, is if you're talking with someone and they seem to be really interested in how much can they get for you from you for as little as possible. And now I, um, have had, there was one client who was really, did this a lot. <laughs> I ended up not working with him and he, I ended up sort of like, we wrapped up a project and then he wanted to do another one. And whoops, I was too busy, right? So I didn't fire him. I just chose not to work with him anymore, which is something you can do, by the way. Anyway, it became very obvious to me. He was really budget conscious. This is one of my clients who came from like the personal finance world. So it wasn't surprising that he was really focused on the money and exactly what he was going to get for the fee. And one of the tip-offs that I should have... Um, given more weight to is that he um, tried to talk me down a little bit from the rate that I quoted him. It was just a little bit. It, it was like, it would be something like if I quoted somebody $1,500 and they say, can you do it for 12? Um, someone who is, is that conscious of um, their budget, you know, who needs this big thing done and they don't have 300 X, you know, they can pay you 1200, but they can't pay you 1500 or they won't pay you 1500. Um, that's a red flag. And, and I don't say that from a position of, you know, it's a money grab. I say that from a position of, um, people who are pinching their pennies can, and who don't want to find a happy way to work together in a way that benefits you and also benefits them. If it's really just about how much money they have in their hand, um, those tend to be the clients, at least in my experience, who are going to try to wring every cent out of you that you let them. And so you have to be really firm about your boundaries. You have to be very clear, again, about the scope. Two rounds of edits or a total rewrite. This was a client who, um, after I submitted the first draft, he, you know, so he quoted me or I quoted him for a specific word length and I delivered the word length. And then he came back and he was like, can we take out this one paragraph and I want to put in a new section about blah, 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 blah. And it was another like 500 words. Um, and I really debated about talking. I really debated on what to do because this was like, this was an addition. It wasn't really an edit. It was adding a whole nother section and it took the project way beyond the scope, but like I was, I had already come down on my rates, not enough that it was painful, but enough that I wanted to get it over with and not spend any more time on this than I absolutely had to. And because it wasn't paying as well, you know, 
effectively by the hour, it was my lowest paying gig. And so I didn't want to waste any more time on it. And so we had everything set. And then he came at me and added more to it and made it look like this was an edit or an improvement. And it was, it needed that section, but um, it wasn't, he'd given me an outline. Anyway, all that to say, I had to really debate, like, am I going to go to bat for this additional, you know, it would have been like a couple hundred dollars, right? Which at the time would have been nice, but it, it wasn't like we couldn't keep the lights on. So I wasn't desperate and I really just wanted to be rid of the guy and not be working on it anymore. So I decided just to eat it. Um, and, and then I like, if I remember right, what I should have done if I didn't do this, but I think I did this is when I sent him the next, you know, I did the edits, I made the changes he wanted, I made the adjustments he wanted, you know, like the within reason stuff. And then I had the new section in and I was like, just a reminder, you get one more round of edits. <laughs> and that's it. Um, and I, and if you want to add any more bulk to the length, we're going to have to readjust the fee. So like, I basically was like this far and no further with him. And he, um, I think he respected it. I, I think he was like a little prickly about it. But you know, like I had to set a boundary and it was really uncomfortable for me. Um, I felt like I was working with someone who wanted to basically take advantage of me. And I knew that I had to be very clear and very direct about how like, <laughs> you slipped that one past me, buddy, but you're not going to do it again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, that was a really interesting experience. So I encourage you to learn from my mistakes. Not that it was necessarily a mistake. It was more like learn from my ignorance. Um, and just if you feel like the the client that you're dealing with is hyper focused on the budget and what they get for it down to like the sentence almost, <laughs> and you'll get it, you'll like, you'll see, they're going to be really, really like, it's one thing to be like, I want to know what I'm getting. It's another thing to be like, well, can we shave a little off here and a little off there and whatever, like you want someone to say, I have a thousand dollars. You want this to be a situation where they come to you and they're like, I need this thing. And you're like, awesome. It'll be $500. And they're like, holy crap. I only have 250. And you're like, well, don't worry. I can do this much for 250. Right. And then they can be like, oh, that's awesome. Or they can be like, let me see what I can do. Or they can be like, thank you so much for your time. I just don't think it's going to work. You know, I need to find someone who can do the whole thing. And I respect your rates, but I, I just can't afford you. Like there's that. And then there's, I need this thing. And then you're like, awesome, that'll be $500. And they come back and they're like, can you do 450? Right? <laughs> That's not respectful. That is, um, it's not, it's just not necessarily a good sign. Um, and the more you work with people, the more you'll get a sense of, you know, this is someone who likes to haggle versus this is someone who's going to push me as hard as he can or as hard as she can to get everything out of me and like, and to make me say no. I don't like working with people who are going to push me until they like, until I have to like, you know, puff up my chest and say no, this far, no further. I don't like those conversations. I want to work with people who are happy to work with me and happy to pay my rates. And there are lots and lots of those people out there. So don't feel like you have to settle for any of these red flags. Okay, this is taking uh, longer than I thought. So the next thing I want to get into, speaking of boundaries, um, is if you are working with someone who um, starts uh, like making inappropriate comments to you in uh, maybe like an innuendo type sense, <laughs> if they're like coming on to you or something and it makes you uncomfortable. Now, this is probably not something that 
a lot of my guy writers deal with as much, but this is very much a part of life as a woman. We people, dudes, <laughs> make advances on us, unwelcome, ad- uninvited, unwelcome, unwanted advances. And sometimes they can be wildly inappropriate. I was at a copywriter conference recently, um, and one of the one of these like stalwart copywriters, she's been in the business for decades at this point, was talking about how there were two times when she was working with a client and, and it was a guy and the guy, two different guys, made some horrible innuendo. I forget what one of them was, but another one was like she was in town. So she went into their office just to meet him and say hello. And they were going to like meet the team at a restaurant or something. So she was riding in his car with him. And like on the way there out of the blue, he suggested that they go that they not go to this lunch and that they go get a motel. (laughs) What? (laughs) So um, and and she uh, in telling this story, she offered um, kind of a script that we can use. Um, So ladies, this one is for you. If a client, uh, and guys, you can use it too. Um, I don't know that you'll need it <laughs> nearly as much as my gal. So what you can say is some version of when you say stuff like that, it makes me uncomfortable and I want you to stop, right? And so if this is like a dude who just the blood was flowing in the wrong direction, uh, it, it will knock him into his senses. He'll probably apologize and then it will never be weird again because you put it you like you're like, oh, heck no, we are not even doing this. I'm not putting up with this. And you have to, you have to say no this far and no further. And I want you to stop. Um, And so if they respect that, awesome. Maybe you taught them a lesson. Maybe they'll stop being a cow (laughs) or whatever the appropriate animal insult is for this situation. Um, And you can move forward and, and you can even have a good working relationship after that. Um, because you will have earned his respect. Um, this is what they tell me. Male minds, um, how male minds work. I think it's, I think the whole thing is disgusting, but this is the world we're in. Um, and if he, you know, w- w- like one more iota of that nonsense and we're done, we're done, never working with you again, severing our contract, whatever, maybe give him his dirty money back. I don't even know. Anyway, ladies, so you don't have to put up with it. And if someone is ever coming on to you, um, don't be evasive. Don't laugh it off. Don't try to be nice. Don't worry about making it awkward because he already made it awkward. It is already awkward because of him, not because of you. And you can just say, this is the script. When you say stuff like that, it makes me uncomfortable and I want you to stop. And that can, it can just be that email. It's, you know, what, how many, 10 words? Just respond to the email with those words um, and see what happens. Or if it's in person or on the phone or whatever, you can just say it and just leave it there. Just put it out there because he's the jerk. You're not the jerk (laughs) in this situation. He's the jerk. Speaking of jerks, um, most of these are not super jerkish, but (laughs) I want to go through the rest of these fast because this episode's getting kind of long. The next thing that can be a red flag, not necessarily, Um, but can be a red flag is if your prospective client does not want to work with a contract. Now, I will tell you that the vast majority of my work, I've been a very bad girl and I almost never work with contracts. I do work with scope of work emails, which is like a casual contract. It's like an informal contract. I don't begin work until I receive their um, agreement and reply and whatever. So it's like we do the work of a contract without the formality of a contract, but I actually have very few signed contracts. But if you have someone who just is like really noncommittal and is like, 
let's just see what happens. They don't want to define anything. They just sort of want you to be their writer and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's a big red flag. Like you want to be able to protect yourself and you also want to be able to protect them. If something goes belly up, you want to be able to walk away and both feel like you um, either got what you deserved or you can part ways knowing that all the bases are covered. So I, I would not work with anyone who refused to work with a contract or who refused to really nail down the scope of something. Another person I would not work with is someone who balked at upfront payment. Um, something that I've done, and I think this is something I invented. I don't think this is something someone recommended to me. This is just something that made me feel better. <laughs> so when I'm working with a new client, um, depending on the size of the project fee, I, I will take either 50% or 100% upfront before I begin work. So if it's a small thing like a blog post, if it's under like maybe $800, I'll take the whole thing up front. Um, if it's more than like $800 or $1,000, I take 50% upfront before I even begin work. And um, if this is for like, for example, I do this a lot with my blogging clients. Um, after the first one that is paid in full, then like any subsequent ones that I do, I bill at the end of the month. And I say, for all new clients, I require payment in full um, up front for the first project. And then after that, we bill, you know, at the end of the month. And um, people who won't agree to those terms are not people you want to work with. <laughs> Either they're people who don't have money. And if they can't pay you $200 now, there's no guarantee that they can pay you $200 when they are supposed to. Or they are people who um, are... Uh, suspicious and they worry that they're not going to get their money's worth and that kind of thing, which, you know, is really sad for them. But, uh, but you get to decide the rules of your business. And if this is a rule that you want to set in place to protect yourself, you are allowed to do it. And they can say yes or no. And if they say no, sorry, I'm not going to agree to that. That's fine. They're free to say no. That doesn't mean that you need to change the way that you work. And you that doesn't mean that you need to change the way that you do business. I started doing this because um, I did have some people who couldn't pay, you know, or wouldn't pay or it took them forever to pay and it just wasn't cool. And so like I needed to know that they were legit upfront before I put one minute of effort into their stuff. That's because my time was so limited. I couldn't work. I, you know, like I didn't have time to work with jokers. I didn't have time to not get paid for two months. Like I needed that money. So the upfront payment was basically just you proved to me that, um, that you're legit. And I've already proven to you that I'm legit through my referrals and my testimonials and my portfolio. Like I've done my part and, and now it's time for you to do your part. And um, anyway, that is just something that I recommend that you think about doing at least. I know it can be really scary for asking for payment before you do the work. Um, but if you look around, a lot of people, a lot of people do that way. A lot of service providers will you know, they take a deposit up front or um, they take um, payment in full up front before the job. It's it's pretty common. And any kind of legit client who is either they have experience working with freelancers or they are open to doing things the way that they are told <laughs> things happen, those are typically better clients than the people who are like, well, I don't know about that. How do I know you're not going to stiff me? Like, you don't want to work with someone who has that attitude. I promise. <laughs> uh, 
Um, speaking of attitudes, <clears throat> uh, the client who wants really fast turnaround and who doesn't understand that really fast turnaround comes at higher rates is not a client that you want. If they want to, now, there's kind of an exception, but basically if a client comes to you and it's Tuesday and they want you to do this thing and they want you to have it to them tomorrow, um, that should have a rush fee. And a rush fee is anywhere from 20 to 50%, depending on how big of a rush and like how much of a, basically how much of an inconvenience it is for you to rearrange your life and your days to get it done. The higher the inconvenience, the bigger the rush fee, right? Because you have to accommodate it so much more. Whereas if they, if you had time to work it into your schedule, you don't need to charge the rush fee because there's no rush. There's no like crazy mint. Clients who are worth their salt will understand a rush fee. People who have reasonable expectations of writers are not going to come to you today and expect to have their stuff tomorrow. You know, they will be happy to for you to have it to them next week. I've had many clients who are happy that I can get it to them within a month. Many clients. Now, the exception to this rule that I mentioned before is if you have someone with ongoing work and the projects are smaller, but they're steady and you can account for them in your schedule. So for example, a common, ex very common example of this is like if you're writing social media copy or if you're doing blog posts and you know that every Thursday you're going to send this person a blog post but you don't have the topic until like Tuesday, but you know it's coming so you can block out that time. I'm okay with that. I do that a lot with clients. I would do that. Um, but because I knew that it was coming, I could block out the time and I knew that they were reliable and they weren't going to like disappear and all of that. So in that, um, that's an exception. Generally speaking, you need to have at least three days. And if it's a bigger project, you need to have way more than three days. <laughs> And someone who thinks that's unreasonable or who is like, well, I can get it tomorrow on Upwork for $20, well, you know, then go to Upwork <laughs> and good luck. <laughs> and when you come back to me, because the thing you got on Upwork 18 hours later was really crummy, whoopsie, my rates doubled overnight. <laughs> um, and that's legit. Anyway, so the last thing I want to share with you um, before I wrap up this longest episode ever is if a client is or prospect is really not responsive to you in the lead up, like before the onboarding, um, if they sort of like they show up and then they disappear for like two weeks and you never hear from them and you, like you're waiting on them to schedule their discovery call or to send you there or whatever, um, or to touch base or to answer your questions so that you can give them a quote or whatever. Like they disappear in the beginning. That can be a red flag because if they are like the beginning is supposed to be the time when they are the most motivated. Um, and if they can't keep it together long enough <laughs> to at least get you onboarded so you can get your stuff done, that can be a concern. And now I'm like even hesitant to talk about this because this is something I am notoriously b guilty of. <laughs> I'm really guilty of putting a call out there for whatever I need and then um, forgetting that I even did it and then never coming back to it. I just uh, responded to some people who saw my call for some help with um, a social media platform that I put out a month ago, right? It took me a month to get back to them. And so like that should be a red flag to them that I might not be the best person to work with because I disappeared, <laughs> And now I sort of told them, I was like, I'm really busy. I'm really crazy. It might take me a minute to get back to you. 
but I am going to get back to you at some point and please feel free to follow up and blah, blah, blah. Like, because I know that this is an issue and I want them to like know in advance that I can be hard to kneel down. Um, but as a writer, as a service provider, you don't want to necessarily work with someone who disappears. Um, especially if this is a time, like you don't want them to disappear when you need stuff from them and when you're depending on them. So if they are really hard to nail down during the prospecting process and during the onboarding process, that can be a red flag. So just be really, really careful with that one. And I say that again, knowing that that's me sometimes. <laughs> They're not bad people. They're just really busy. Anyway, um, so that is, those are the seven or was it eight red flags I wanted to share with you all today. And I look forward to our next episode. Have you heard of Copy Confidential? If not, I want you to go to copyconfidential.com and check it out. This is my new course on how to write anything for any client. It's really robust. We talk about the major writing skills that you're going to need for both copywriting and content writing. And I'm also including 12 modules that go in depth into 12 different types of content that your clients want you to write. If that is interesting at all to you and you'd like to learn more, then check it out online, copyconfidential.com. And FYI, there is a secret unannounced (laughs) bonus that's not on the sales page yet for client bound. If you enroll in Copy Confidential, you get client bound for free. It's pretty cool. I hope you check it out.